Welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast, a podcast from the home of Scrum. In this podcast, we feature professional Scrum trainers and other Scrum practitioners sharing their stories and experiences to help learn from the experience of others. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to Scrum.org Community Podcast, a podcast from the home of Scrum. Um, My name is Dave West, CEO here at Scrum.org, and I'll be your host today. In this podcast, normally we feature uh, professional Scrum trainers and other Scrum practitioners sharing their stories and experiences around Scrum so that maybe we can all learn together. Today's podcast, though, is a little different. It's a third installment. Actually, we were laughing before we we got on air that maybe this time we'll get it right. right? Uh, It's the third installment on agile Mm -hmm. leadership with the authors of the Professional Agile Leadership book. So um, welcome to the podcast, Kurt Bittner, uh, Lawrence Bonimer, Ron Aringa. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, as I said, it's the third time, so hopefully we'll be better this time, right? Practice makes perfect. Uh, So... Over the last two podcasts, we've talked about agile leadership. You know, we've really focused on what it is, why it's different from maybe more traditional leadership perspectives, and how organizations can and should embrace the ideas into their leadership discipline. Today's podcast, I I think I would like us to focus on a challenging topic, a topic that is very important to many people, which is hierarchy. And, And when I'm talking about hierarchy, I'm talking about it in two areas. One, the hierarchy in terms of the systems and processes of managing risk and decision-making and and, uh, authority. And the second type of authority, which is hierarchy in terms of promotion, career, and money. So I guess the the, um, invitation or question that I'd like to start with is how does a bottom-up flatter view of the world, which Scrum and Agile really promotes, integrate with the reality of most traditional organizations. And Ron, this is a topic that you talk a, a lot about and are very wax lyrical on. So how could you sort of get us going on that question? Yeah, the, so the, the integration question is actually one of the most interesting questions because, um, you know, in any organization where you start working with ideas of self-organizing teams, uh, you're going to have to start with what the, what is there, right? And I think we talked about this last time a little bit as well, um, but you can't avoid that there is a hierarchy there uh, in the organization. Um, another thing, I think uh, people also think that the hierarchy will be gone once you have self-organizing teams, which I think is probably also not there. Um, but the hierarchy looks probably different. Um, and I think that is the tension that 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 you're going to work with when you start with self-organizing teams and, and scrum teams. Um, so you, you will have the traditional hierarchy, which is normally kind of a power hierarchy in, in the organization, meaning that everyone uh, that's up in the food chain, higher up the hierarchy will make decisions about money, about uh, careers, about you know everything actually. But at the moment that you really get mature, agile, self-organizing teams, a lot of those traditional responsibilities start shifting towards actually the people doing the work. But that doesn't mean that hierarchy will disappear in the organization. Uh, it's just going to look different. So um, in the old organization, people... Uh, up in the food chain, higher up the hierarchy, um, are responsible for, well, almost every decision. 
Uh, and in the new organization, they will be responsible for helping people to take those decisions themselves. And I think that's a much harder job because they're going to have to um, make sure that those people are actually capable of doing that, that they have all the means to do so, and that they, uh, you know, that the organization uh, is still an organization. So I think the hierarchy won't disappear. It's just, you know, it's replaced. The power hierarchy will probably be replaced by a hierarchy of concerns making sure that the organization as a whole will see, still keep functioning and that people are capable of continuing to, to make the, the decisions that they were taking in the past. So I just want to pick up on those two quite important points. Number one, that ultimately authority is changing from making decisions about stuff to helping others make decisions about yeah. stuff, which I think is really, really interesting. So that's one point. The, and then you, you brought up an, another interesting point about uh, how, I guess, it'll work. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the, the, the reality of, of, of the transition, which I think is really, really interesting as well. Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the first point. So decisions used to be made supposedly you know you'd have multiple meetings somebody had been invited to a meeting the team would present something that person would say yes or no or that person would then take it to somebody else right uh, who would then say yes and no who would then take it to somebody else who would say yes and no and depending on the severeness of the decision the biggerness the bigness if that's a word uh, of the decision it would go up and down the that's changing how does it manifest itself? How does it work, you know, in terms of decision-making and the like? What does a agile leader have to do that's different? I, I, I can know. give an example of that if you want to. Um, I, I, what, during the, the uh, uh, COVID crisis that we had uh, in the last few years, I, I was interim manager in an organization. And um, at some point, we needed to cut budget. Uh, which in the end, nine out of 10 times means, you know, uh, letting people go. Uh, and in this case, there were people that were hired, external hires that we needed to, uh, you know, cut down like 40 people or something. Um, in the traditional organization, what would have happened, and that this is actually what actually happened in the organization before we started experimenting with this, is the manager would take the decision which people that we needed to let go. Um, and then it just tripped down into the rest of the organization. Yeah. What we did instead is we went to the product owners and the scrum masters of the team with the problem that we had. Well, this is the problem that we have. We need your help with that. Uh, could you uh, help us find the solution? Because if I'm going to make the decision, I'm probably going to make the worst decision ever because I'm going to break up, you know, all the dynamics and all the teams. And we didn't want to do that. So um, in the end, uh, what happened is that they had those conversations. They came up with a lot of great solutions, not only solutions like letting people go, but also, you know, uh, proposals that we didn't even think of. So I think because we involved the people in the problem, um, they came up with much better solutions than probably I would have come up with. But I think the biggest gain that we had is that, um, well, people told me afterwards, like, this was the first time that I was involved in such a big problem. And normally the manager would have all that weight on his shoulders. And now we were, you know, all carrying that same weight. So I think, you know, we are talking about people that are all capable of, of, of taking these kind of decisions. 
But if they're not used to that, probably I guess I have to support them in doing it. And of course, that's what I did. So it didn't, didn't mean that I you know, wasn't involved in the whole process, but the process went completely different. Uh, and, and my role is very different in that. Wow, that sounds pretty scary. Um, yeah. Kurt, what do you think? I mean, suddenly you're sort of going from being responsible to being to enabling how does that you know that sounds to help to make decisions about whether to lay people off or where to change you know money and the like is is scary so how does it actually work to don't people get kind of like worried about the that those responsibilities and those accountabilities how does it all fit together Kurt do you have anything to share yeah well you know to continue on with what Ron was saying, and to use that example, um, I, I've been involved in a couple of situations that were kind of similar. And the things that the team needs from a leader in that situation um, is essentially kind of guidance and coaching. Um, so there are certain proposals or, or things that they might think of that you can't do for legal reasons. Um, there are other things that, that, you know, you might ask, well, you know, have you considered this? You know, we, you know, they, they're focused on one set of impacts, but the, the organization has other ones. So, you know, they might say, well, you know, we can, we could just, you know, cut customer support. I'm using a bad example, but, you know, you can say, well, we could just cut that and have the team handle that. And, and the leader might say, well, you know, have, have you know, that, that, might be a good way to go, um, but it's going to mean you're going to get interrupted all the time. You know, is that is that something that you think you want to take on? So helping the team think through decisions and helping them grow their ability to make those decisions is is really important. And you know, as Ron said, the teams were able to come up with lots of ex lots of ideas that the management would not have come up with. But the teams maybe don't have all the visibility into various issues that they might want to have. You know, maybe there's a, well, you know, we tried to do that five years ago. We have these particular challenges and, um, you know, we, we don't want to go through that again. So, um, so it's more helping, you know, switching from telling the team what to do to helping them think things through, helping them uh, consider different perspectives. Um, you know, there, in, in, in uh, most countries, there are lots of laws about diversity. And so a particular decision may not look particularly diverse, even though, you know, it, it was done for solid reasons, but you might want to consider that. Um, so that's, that's sort of um, the, the shift is that it, it actually, you know, our view is that, is that this shift away from decision-making actually enables the leaders to become more impactful because they have greater influence and they have greater flexibility, but the job is very different instead of being the big decider and, you know, sitting in the, in the rooms, you know, with, with all the other big deciders, you know, you, you involve more people and you, and you focus more on teaching um, much in the way that a parent would try to help a child make a better learn how to make better decisions as opposed to telling them what to do so i'd like to you know there's another element around hierarchy other than decisions but also in terms of career 
So Lawrence, uh, you know, does this mean that you don't, it, there's, how do career paths look? If we suddenly are making, if suddenly we're all a bunch of coaches, teachers, mentors, parents, helping people grow <laughs> and develop, how does that work in terms of promotion, hierarchy and career sort of perspective? Do you, do you have much experience there when you're working with clients? How, what do you tell them when they say, how do I get promoted in this new world? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, we do. Uh, we, we have some experience in, in working with clients, um, talk through those kinds of changes, where what we find the most interesting thing to do is instead of linear progression, which where you have like a, a sort of a function house, right? So you start as a scrum master and then you move on to become an agile coach and then you move on and you become um, the king of scrum, right? Um, but well, it's, it's already a taken position, but you never know. Yeah. Um, anyway, there, there is like a linear path. So take these steps and then you'll get there. And that's no longer true if you work in this way. So hierarchy changes, becomes more of a network structure. Um, and as weird as it may sound, it's more like a, a bingo card, right? A full uh, career is, is several um, slots that you can fill and you can go both linear, you could go uh, in a different line. So it's, it's more like a journey and you can draw the map yourself. And that tends to be a little bit more complicated, but in the end you can, even from an HR perspective, we find you can simplify that back down again and literally make it into a bingo card. I have seven check marks wherever they are, and that means this is my compensation. Um, and that actually, uh, we thought that was oversimplifying it and it would probably not work, but let's try it anyway. That worked brilliant to several of the customers that we work with. Um, and that's really interesting because it also um, answers a very complex question, or at least it, it fixes the fact that we always give very complex answers to essentially a simple question, which is, okay, I have all this experience, what does that get me? Um, and if I take a different step in my career, does that mean I'm throwing away all that experience? And if you work in this way, if you structure it this way, you don't necessarily have to. And that really helps in what you need in that different type of hierarchy, in that different type of situation, you need people who have experience in multiple places in an organization and can then navigate the hierarchy more effectively because it becomes more of a network instead of a fixed linear thing. Okay, so let, yes, I think so. Let me see if I get it right. And then I'd love, I'd, I'd love some other viewpoints on this. So basically what you're saying is that ultimately the skills that you develop I like this big list or bingo card, as you describe it. Um, and, and you knock off these skills and these competencies and these capabilities, lots of words to describe this. Uh, and ultimately, you are paid, promoted in inverted commas, in terms as you progress across this bingo card, filling things out as you go, which then, which which is awesome because it also removes this concept of, I think it's an expression and maybe Kurt, you've heard it, the Peter principle, is it? Where you get promoted to a level of your own level of incompetence because ultimately you show an amazing skill at doing X and Y, they put you into the next level, which is completely different. You know, I, I certainly know that my uh, man, my person management skills have, <laughs> you know, I got promoted into that and I'm like, 
well, I don't know what to do here. I was just very good at what I, well, reasonably, averagely good uh, at what I did before. And uh, and now you've promoted me into a different position, which I'm no good at, or maybe I have to just learn to be good at, which is going to take some time. So is that what you were saying, Lawrence? Yeah, exactly. That now it is no longer a bad thing to recognize that and say, well, look, I have I have all this experience. Now I'm going to move laterally instead of back down or further up uh, because this is not my place. This is not where I add most value. And I think that I can add more value there. And of course, this is all discussion, right? So you, you talk about this with your boss, with your peers, with the people who work for you, whatever position you have, and then you decide and, and move. Usually that is a very personal decision. Um, if you have, uh, and maybe the bingo card is not the right metaphor, but if, if it's like a, a matrix or something that you're filling out, if it's more of a matrix and you can essentially take any path, um, and you have defined that as part of your organization, it makes it easier to make those kinds of decisions because they don't cost you anything. They just, it becomes additive. And that is freeing, not just for the person involved. It's also freeing for tons of HR departments and for people managing them in, in creating fixed paths, knowing full well that almost nobody takes them, right? Because most yeah. people almost by accident are hired for a position that they may not even have considered um, and then either discover that they really rock that or that they're stuck in the Peter principle and then they start wondering, hmm, when will they find out that I'm actually not good at this? <laughs> um, and what will then happen? Because sadly, of course, with the Peter principle, usually you are indeed promoted to your level of incompetence and then you stay there, which is a disservice to both the organization and the person. So it's, it's way better to make it normal to just try, see if you can do that, and if you like doing that. And then if the answer is, nah, probably not a great idea if you stay here, then you just shift. And different hierarchical thinking makes that possible because um, it is hierarchical thinking that keeps us stuck in those, I have to go up, and every time I take a different decision, it means I'm going down. Yeah. As opposed to, as I go up, I could also go left and right and a little bit down. And it really doesn't matter because I'm just marking the checkboxes of everything I have done. And therefore, everything I am now uniquely qualified to do in this organization. So, Kerr, I'd, I'd love your take on this. Yeah, so, so that, that cross-functional, you know, just like teams are cross-functional in terms of their skills, having leaders be be cross-functional uh, in different areas is important. But one thing I think that's that's really important too is that um, as decisions get pushed down to teams, the need for levels in the hierarchy to specialize around functions declines. So you don't have a let's say over the long-term, a manager of software development or a manager of testing or these other functional areas. Um, and actually keep having the hierarchy organized around functions keeps make, makes the organization less adaptable because you're, you're sort of locking in certain kinds of expertise. So, so the other thing that happens over time is that there's, a, as, as responsibility for certain kinds of decisions gets pushed down to the teams, then 
that hierarchy starts to focus more, I think, on the, the scope of its influence. So at sort of the, at the level above the teams, that leader might have, you know, might be helping a handful of teams. And above that, you know, their, their, their scope is much broader. So they're, they're helping, you know, whole sort of product groups and so on. So, so that, 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 that scope becomes, or, or what the leader does is less focused on making decisions on a particular area, you know, functional area, and more, more focused on how do we get these larger groups of people working together more effectively? And, and their scope becomes that. Then, and related to that then is the scope of the goals of those leaders. Um, you know, might be focused on at lower levels, you know, groups of teams, then products, then perhaps the entire organization. So, so that, that shift happens gradually, but it's, 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 uh, happens sort of, um, in parallel with the teams taking on more responsibility for the day-to-day -day decisions and for technical decisions and even product decisions. And as, but, but there's, you know, there, there are lots of things that happen between teams and that often, you know, yeah. that, that can self-manage to a point, but oftentimes it requires somebody to sort of, you know, help out with, you know, maybe some broader conflicts between different sets of goals or aligning goals or doing things like that. So that's, that's what I think is the, is the shift away from functional organization toward a more um, leadership, scope of leadership kind of organization. So you can imagine what the last question will be. And I'd like to hit this up to Ron. Um, okay, so I'm currently working in a functionally aligned organization where my promotion is supported by a very comprehensive competence model that was developed 15 years ago and that has been ratified by a works council and a trade union and a whatever, and it's all been signed off. Ah, what do I do? How do I get promoted? What, how do, what do I, how do I deal with this? You talked about duality. You talked about to operate. You know, how do I deal with this? What, what, what's, what's your message to these people that are currently in this transition sort of state? How do they manage these two worlds? Um, yeah, and maybe again, to use a practical application where we started experimenting with this would be like, I mean, um, well, people need to still pay, pay their mortgage, right? So that's one yes. thing. So, uh, and people are still going to be looking for how to get more of that stuff. So, you know, I can buy a bigger house and, you know, that, that's that's typical behavior. However, if you start decoupling the monetary reward from someone's place in the hierarchy uh, by, for example, uh, creating team rewards that are coupled to actually the value creation that's that's being done to customers, if the team can uh, couple their uh, monetary rewards to their successes they book with customers, if it's really like in a, in a, in a value chain where they can see the, the amount of value that they're creating and it also you know typically drills down to making more money, why don't we just couple that actually to how a, a real business also works, right? If a business is doing good, everyone in the business will profit, profit from that. If you start decoupling those individual reward systems, replace it by team rewards, but also you know remove the place in the hierarchy kind of discussion, we have found 
that people will start asking better questions as well. They will start wondering, how can I, you know, still make more money, but by doing the right stuff for customers instead of, you know, fighting to get that place somewhere up in food chain in this organization. So I think that's basically what we saw in these experiments is that at the moment that you start experimenting with team rewards, um, uh, anyone can be rewarded uh, regardless of their place in the hierarchy. And then that just gives much better discussions and also different focus for people. So and we've had some very interesting results with that, at least uh, by running these kind of experiments. And just folding in what Kurt said about this sort of like degrees of influence, you know, sort of higher view, and then balancing team rewards with some sort of as because you still want to incentivize people to help cross teams, you know, deal with these conflicts sort of as you know, these, these challenges. So balancing that kind of those two worlds in some sort of very explicit, very, um, uh, very transparent manner, I guess. Would, would you agree is that those two things have to be balanced? I think, yes, they, they definitely need to be balanced uh, in combination with the fact, well, and that's where you, your question started. Like, you know, now we have this, <laughs> you know, very rigid HR system. How are we going to change yes. that? Well, my advice would be don't change the entire HR system right away. Start looking at your most mature team and, and run some experiments and see how that works out. Uh, and you'll probably learn what, what works best for the organization step by step. So taking an empirical approach instead of, you know, trying to, you know, reshift the entire way that, that they, the whole HR system works is also probably not the best way to go forward with that. Yes, make, makes a lot of sense. Incrementally, slowly looking at those friction points, yeah. not making decisions that ha like we're going to radically change everybody's how people are paid and salaries, et cetera, overnight. But maybe we'll run two models and look at how they how they uh, how they work together uh, and then incrementally make those changes. All right. Yeah. We, we try to keep these uh, podcasts short. Uh, and obviously a topic of this breadth could we could go on for hours talking about all sorts of things. Um, so I really do appreciate you taking the time out of today. We've been listening to um, Kurt Bittner, Lawrence Bonhamer and Ron Erenga talking a little bit about hierarchy, talking about how that features in agile leadership and and how the how to marry these two worlds of flatter, sort of more agile organizations, more outcome-oriented organizations with traditional organizations. Obviously, we couldn't cover everything. And if you've got some interest in this, maybe you should, everybody should read the book. It's a fantastic read, Professional Agile Leadership, part of the Professional Scrum series from, from Pearson. So gentlemen, thank you for taking the time again to talk about these topics. It is a a big one, and um, hopefully we'll continue this conversation uh, in in the future. It's been You're welcome. Thanks, Dave. Three is a charm. <laughs>